Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Christ Walk. How is everybody doing today? Yes. As they said, Easter is right around the corner, and we are getting super pumped up, super excited for all things Easter. And so um, that video that you just saw um, is actually a part of our um, social media um, advertisement for Easter this year, but it's also available to you because we've done um, what we think is an incredible thing to, to put in a, a really helpful, useful tool in your hands to help you invite your friends and family. So um, the Christwalk.com slash Easter will get you all the information that you need about Easter. So that's the direction that you wanna point people. But in order for you to do that, um, we've created another page on our website. It's simply thechristwalk.com slash invite. And it has a ton of stuff. There's, there's graphics, there's videos, there's sample captions, um, ways for you to, to share that either through email or um, to, to text or to download and, um, and uh, post it to your social media accounts, um, to tag your friends, ways to encourage them to come and be a part of what God is doing at Christ Walk Church this, uh, this Easter. And so we wanna encourage you to take advantage of those things, put those tools to good use. We're gonna have some physical tools, some invite cards and some other things that are gonna be coming out over the coming weeks, but you can go ahead right now um, and begin sharing those videos, sharing those images, um, sending it out to all of your friends. And again, you can find all of that at thechristwalk.com forward slash invite. Um, and there's instructions on how to use all of that stuff. So we hope that you'll do that as we um, enter into the Easter season. And man, I'm just looking forward to having this place packed out for Easter and to share the message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's gonna be an incredible time together. And so we wanna be sure that your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, everybody um, gets the opportunity to come and be a part of that uh, with us. So I hope that you will um, help us to invite and, and get people here. So um, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, I wanna invite you, encourage you to turn with me um, to the New Testament. We're gonna be um, in the book of James today in the New Testament. So in case you're unaware, the Bible is divided up into um, two large sections of Scripture up front. We've got the Old Testament, and then the second big section of Scripture, we have the New Testament, and um, there is, there's a letter towards, the, uh, towards the, the, the back end of the New Testament written by a guy named James, and so um, appropriately, it's called James. And um, just a little bit of background information. James was actually the brother of Jesus. Like imagine growing up in that household. You know, Jesus, the son of God, always perfect, never did anything wrong. And then you got James. He was likely the butt end of everything. But that's one of the ways that we know that the Bible is really true because of what James, the brother of Jesus, he had an inside track on everything, but yet what he communicates, that's a thing that, that we can use, a tool that we can use to, to help us know that what this book has in it is legit. And so we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to land there in just a little bit. Um, 
We're in part five today of this series that we've called Confessions of a Church Pastor. And it's based on a passage um, from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Colossae, where uh, in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11, Paul wrote, he said, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And then he closes out this passage by saying, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. And so over uh, several months ago in my daily devotional reading, I came across this passage and it really stuck out to me. And so I wrote it down in the back of my journal and I began to think through and process these things and, and the, the principles and the promises of this passage. I began to pray over my life and over my family's life. And then I've been praying them over you, over your lives as well, that this is what um, this, this is something that, that I wish for the people of our church. And so over the past um, four weeks leading up to now, we've talked about the different elements, the different promises of this passage. And all the way back in part one, we talked about the importance of knowing God's will. And that God's will is for us to be holy because holiness is the key that unlocks the door to God's presence. And anytime we are in his presence, we are also in his presence will. And then in part two, we talked about the importance of walking in righteousness, that, that we learned that, that we're counted as righteous by our belief, but we continue in righteousness because of our behavior, and that God wants us to be single-hearted in our pursuit of him, that he wants us to pursue him and him alone. And then two weeks ago in part three, we talked about working to bear fruit and that, that fruitfulness requires faithfulness. And the good news for us is, is that anywhere there is fruit, there is also a future. And so we've gotta be faithful in three different areas. We've gotta be faithful in our seed, we've gotta be faithful in our soil, and we have to be faithful in our season so that we can produce the kind of fruit that honors God and that will propel us towards the good future that he has in store for those of us that call him Lord and Savior. And then last week in part four, we talked about knowing God's word. And we, we discovered that we can't have a relationship with God outside of having a relationship with his word. That, that from the very beginning, the word was with God and the word was God, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So when we interact and engage with this book, we are literally interacting and engaging with the very person of Jesus Christ himself. And that brings us today to part five of this series. And so for the next few minutes that I have remaining today, I'd like to close out this series by talking about experiencing God's power, experiencing God's power. Now, many of you um, who have been around me for like five minutes or more, you know that I am, um, I am a diehard um, college basketball fan. 
Um, particularly, I am a diehard Kentucky Wildcats fan, not just in college basketball, but, but in all sports. Um, I, I'm, I'm blue to the core, Kentucky Wildcats, and, but, but particularly, you know, it's the greatest tradition in college basketball. And so um, this time of year is like Christmas, for me, I'm like, I'm borderline, like, like if, if you got close to me, you, you can smell the obnoxiousness, like, just emanating from my pores. Like, I'm, I'm so, like, weird. Conference tournament is next week, and then selection Sunday, and I'm about to have church just talking about it. Um, and it's, it's exciting. I, I can't, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, so what does this have to do with you? Well, yesterday there was a game, um, and, and typically Kentucky closes out their season every year playing one team in particular, and the reason that matters to you is because that team is the Florida Gators. Yeah, yeah cheer loud, come on. Let me hear it, let me hear it. And so yesterday, yesterday, um, my Kentucky Wildcats, um, made, made, the, uh, made the trip from Lexington to Gainesville to go to the Stephen C. O'Connell Center, Exact Tech Arena, the Rowdy Reptiles, <laughs> to face the Florida Gators. And um, they found themselves yesterday playing without their starting point guard. He stayed back in Lexington to handle some personal issues um, that were taking place. And... Um, uh, it, with 12 minutes left to go in the, in, in the second half, 12 minutes left in the game, Kentucky was down by 18 points. It was not looking good for my Wildcats. Their best player had fouled out with 14 minutes left to go in the game. And it was, it was at that point where uh, uh, Kentucky's down 18, there's 12 minutes left, it, actually like 11.36 was left. I texted my dad, I pulled out my phone, I texted my dad and I said, this is over. Kentucky's getting ready to get blown out. Like blown out. But lucky for me, they didn't. <laughs> Sorry to rub it in. Um, they actually, at that point, mounted a comeback. And in the last eight minutes and a few seconds, they held the Florida Gators to only six points and one offensive rebound. And they ended up coming back and winning from an 18-point deficit. They ended up winning the game 71 to 70. No. 71 <laughs> to 70. Miraculously. And we woke up the neighborhood, <laughs> and people were like, who, who is, like, what is going on down there at the Snap House? Well, Kentucky beat the Gators. Um, and, but, but my confession to you today is that, uh, shamefully, with 12 minutes left to go, 18 points down, starting point guard back in Lexington, best player fouled out, I was ready to wave the white flag. Yeah? Yeah? What about you? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like giving up? Have you ever faced anything where you thought it's, it's time to throw in the towel, right? Have you ever come across an experience where, where you just looked at it and you said, it's hopeless, right? Am I talking to anybody this morning? Yeah. 
I'm not talking about just a basketball game. Like I'm talking about like real life issues. Like, have you ever faced a situation that's left you agitated or frustrated or aggravated or deflated, feeling humiliated or incapacitated or berated or invalidated or just straight up jaded, like all the Eds. I don't know who Ed is, but he's a jerk. Because he leaves us feeling that way. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you, you look at things and you say, like, I'm the only one in my marriage, like, trying to make this work. And all of the household responsibilities have seemed to fall on me. And, and I'm the only one trying to be romantic. I'm the only one trying to, trying to make things happen or whatever. And, and so, so you bear the brunt of the relationship on your shoulders alone. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe they're bringing home poor grades. Maybe they're displaying poor behavior. Maybe they're, they're just unwilling or unable to, to live up to the expectations that you've set for them, the, the guidelines that you've laid out for them, and that's causing a point of contention in your family. Maybe today it's with your job. Maybe you feel overworked and, and underpaid. You feel like your superiors only notice you whenever you've done something wrong. You feel like there will never be an opportunity for you to ascend the corporate ladder and to move forward in the company. Maybe it's with your finances today. Your car's in the shop. The home air conditioner's on the fritz. The collection company is ringing your phone off the hook, wanting to know when you're gonna be able to catch up on all of those delinquent bills. Maybe it's with your health the dog's throwing up, your kids have missed school because of the flu, the doctor gave you the results for the scan and said that they think there might be a tumor, you turn on the TV and you're worried about coronavirus. <laughs> I saw you, I heard you. We don't shake hands anymore, we just rub elbows. You know, we're like kicking each other's toes, like that's what we're doing because we're worried about coronavirus. And here's what I've discovered about stuff like this in our life. Often these incidents, they're not just isolated in and of themselves. They tend to happen together, compiling and compounding on top of one another. And, and the enemy wants to use stuff like this in our lives to rob us of our joy. John 10.10 10 talks about that. He's in John's gospel, he says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them, give us a rich and satisfying life. The, the thief's purpose, he wants to steal our joy because if he can steal our joy, then he can kill our spirit. And if he can kill our spirit, then he can destroy our lives. And so his number one tactic, the way that he starts with us is he wants to take away our joy from us. And it's these kinds of situations that, that I believe is, is what Paul was addressing when he wrote to the Colossians and what we read in verse 11 of Colossians chapter one, which says, we also pray that, that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need May you be filled, or it could be read, so that you may be filled with joy. 
See, what Paul is saying here, what what his hope is for the Colossians and and ultimately for you and me today is that that as he opens this passage and and he tells the Colossians in in verses 9 through 11 the things that he's praying for them, the things that he's he's praying over them, the things that he's believing for them is that, that, hey, I, I want you to find yourselves right smack dab in the middle of God's will. But in order for you to do that, you're going to have to live lives full of righteousness that bear fruit, that honors God. And the only way that you can do that is through a relationship with God through his word. And then once you've done that, the end result here is is you're setting yourself up. You're positioning yourself to be strengthened with God's glorious power so that you can have endurance, so that you can have patience, and so that you can be filled with joy. Because when we have joy, we win. That's why the devil wants to take it away from us. And so that's a key in the life of the believer. And so if if joy is the goal and God's power is how we get there, The question then is, well, how do we access God's power? And Luke tells us in the book of Acts, the words of Jesus, the very last thing that he said before to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he says, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So that means that if I want to receive God's power, then I need to be sure that I'm surrendering my life to the Holy Spirit, right? And like when we start to talk about the Holy Spirit, we, we get a little nervous. Like what's about to happen? Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not gonna give you anything that you're not ready to receive. You're not gonna be just walking along one day and slip and fall into the Holy Spirit. You've gotta position yourself to be able to receive it because he doesn't just give it out willy-nilly. He dispenses the Holy, God dispenses the Holy Spirit onto people who, who are waiting and, and with arms open, they're asking God for an outpouring of his spirit in their lives. And so what what happens is, is we receive the Holy Spirit in a couple different ways. Number one, it's initially at the point of salvation that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are subsequently like the Holy Spirit moves in our life and comes upon us. And then we continue to receive the Holy Spirit ongoing as day after day, we surrender ourselves to the Lord and we invite his presence into our lives. Because guess what? We are like buckets with holes in the bottom. We leak. And so the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not just a one-time kind of thing. It's an ongoing kind of thing. And so we have to surrender ourselves to God. We have to invite his presence, invite his spirit into our hearts, into our lives each and every day until we learn to depend on him and his work in our lives. And so then once we have realized that the the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, then a whole new realm of possibilities begin to open up in front of us despite any of the trials that we might be facing. And that's where we find ourselves with what James is writing in chapter one of his letter, of his book. James chapter one, and it's 
starts right here in, in verse 1 is some greetings, and then, and then he goes on to verse 2 where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Okay, now remember our passage in Colossians where, where Paul says, ultimately Paul says, I, I want you to experience the power of God so that you'll be given the patience that you need, the endurance or the, the perseverance that you need so that you will be able to, so that you may be filled with joy, okay? And so then James says, when troubles of any kind come your way, all this stuff that we've been talking about, these, these setbacks, these struggles, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it, and I love the language right here of the New Living Translation, is consider it an opportunity for great joy. Notice he doesn't say, when, when troubles of any kind come your way, you're going to get joy. You're going to be joyful. He's, no, he says, consider it an opportunity, an opportunity for great joy. It's not a guarantee, but it's an opportunity that, that you and I, there's, there's something that we can do. There's, there's a way that, that we can act and that we can behave in, in order to partner with God and, and lean into the power of his spirit so that, so that joy can come about. It's an opportunity for us to, to put our faith into action, to begin to exercise our faith in Christ so that we can be joyful. And so that requires us that, that when trials, when troubles, when tribulation comes our way, that, that there's an opportunity for great joy. That means that you and I, we've got to take advantage of the opportunity. We've got to take advantage of the opportunity because the opportunity may be presenting itself, but if we're not stepping up to the plate to take advantage of that opportunity, it's going to pass by and we're going to miss out on the blessings of what God is wanting to do in our lives. And so um, today, if you're taking notes, um, and I hope that you will, maybe like you've got a notebook or maybe in your phone or something, um, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. We're going to talk about three ways that we can make the most of our opportunities for joy. Three ways to make the most of our opportunities for joy. And the first one is, first, we've got to accept the charge. We've got to accept the charge. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself a little bit um, for some of the younger people in the room, but uh, anybody remember those 1-800-C-O-L-L-E-C-T commercials? You know what I'm talking about? Like children, there used to be a time where we didn't have phones in our pockets. And instead, they were bolted to the sidewalk in these metal boxes on street corners. And you'd have to take this thing called a quarter and put it into the phone. And Travis Tritt wrote a song about it and everything. Some of y'all look at that on the drive home. One person right over here got it. It was awesome. But if you didn't have any money, you had to do this thing called make a collect call. And so it's kind of a jerk move because what you're doing is you're making the phone call you need to make, but you're making the other person pay for it. And so there was a time when it was really expensive um, to make a collect call, and, and the person on the other end of the line, they would have to accept it. 
And so because they didn't want to pay for the charges, you, I remember one of the advertisements was, was about a guy named Bob and his wife had just, um, who was pregnant, she just had the baby. And he said, this is Bob, we had a baby, it's a boy. That was his name. Bob, we had a baby, it's a boy. To avoid the collect call charges. But then they came out with 1-800-C-O-L-L-E-C-T and it made a collect call affordable so that you could accept the charge in your life. The question is, is that will you accept the charge in your life in order to get to joy? Because joy, it's going to cost you something. Joy is going to cost us something. And in, and in, this, in, in this instant, joy is going to cost us patience. Patience. Like, does anybody else's stomach hurt whenever I say that word? Patience, right? Because you know how we want to be. God, give me patience and give it to me now, right? Right now. That's how we want it. But see, there's only one way to develop patience. Only one way that we're going to develop patience. And that's to be put into a situation where we have to practice it. So if you want patience in your life, like be warned, be careful what you ask for. But if you want to get to joy, patience is a prerequisite. And so if, if, we're, going to, if we're going to develop patience, then, then what we've got to do, we've got to walk in it, right? We've got to walk in it a little bit. You've got to be in the middle of some stuff so that God can develop that in your life. Because at the end of the day, you cannot have a testimony if there is not first a test. And so if God is going to develop patience in your life, he's going to have to put you in some situations where that can be developed and where that can come about. And James talks about this later on in, his, in, his, uh, uh, in chapter 1 in verses 3 in the beginning of verse 4. He says, for that you know that, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Let it grow. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it grow. It's a whole other thing. He's saying, accept it. Welcome the charge into your life. Yes, God, I want that so that it can grow, so that I can walk in it, that, that I know the situation kind of stinks. But God, I see that, that you're doing something here. And so he's saying, let that happen. Let it come about. Let it grow. Spend some time with it. We get ourselves into those kinds of situations, and, and we like to think that we've got it all figured out. And so we'll pray, we'll cry out to God, God, if you would only do this, right? If you'd only make this happen over here, God, if you would just, if you, and we try to rationalize, we try to convince him of things, and so when it, comes to, when it comes to accepting the charge and allowing patience to work, what you and I have to do is we've got to fight against our tendency to put our hand to everything. And we just need to allow God to do what he's going to do. We need to just sit there and just wait on his timing and for what he's wanting to bring about. And so the question we need to ask ourselves this morning when it comes to, when it comes to accepting the charge and to developing patience is, is simply, am I willing to patiently wait on God to move in my situation? Am I willing to patiently wait on God to move in my 
situation? We've got to answer that question for ourselves. Nobody can answer that question for you. You've got to answer that question for yourself. Am I willing to patiently wait for God to move in my situation? So the first thing to make the most out of our opportunities for joy is to accept the charge. The second is to embrace the challenge. We've got to embrace the challenge. Anybody ever ran a marathon in here? Anybody? Half marathon, 10K, 5K. Some of, I think, um, I was talking to some people earlier, maybe Brad and Linda, they ran the gate, the gate run. I don't know how long that is, but as far as I'm concerned, it's too long. (laughs) It could be from like here to that door back there, and it's too long. I don't run, like unless like zombies are chasing me. And even then, I'd probably just lay down and be like, just eat me. You can just, let's just get this over with. It's inevitable. We'll just get this over with. While I've never run a marathon, I can imagine that like I can't just go outside and just decide today I'm gonna run a marathon and go outside and do it, right? Like you don't start out running the full distance. What happens is, is you run as far as you can run on day one and then day two, you just you run a little bit further than that. And day three, you run a little bit further than that. And day four, you run a little bit further than that. And then all of a sudden, you're Forrest Gump and you're running from <laughs> one coast to the other coast and back again. And people start to follow you and you grow a big, long beard. <laughs> See, what happens is, is we, don't, we don't start out at the top. We gotta work our way up to it. We gotta get there. Just run a little bit further and a little bit further. We push ourselves a little bit farther, a little bit farther each and every day. And, 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 and James, he, he talks about this in verse four. He says, so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So endurance or, or perseverance, is, it's something that we have to develop. And in the same way that, that the only way there is to get patience is, is to walk in it. The only way that we can develop endurance or, or perseverance is to work through it, right? First, we gotta walk in it. Then we've gotta work through it. We gotta, we gotta keep on pushing through until we make it to the other side. A lot of times we'll find ourselves in situations like this and, and we wanna get angry. We wanna shake our fist at God. We wanna question why he's, he's causing these things, why he's allowing these things to happen to us. God, did I do something wrong? God, are you, why are you disciplining me? Why are you, why are you putting me through this? And, and we need to know he's not disciplining us. He's developing us. He's developing endurance and perseverance in our life so that we may be perfect and complete, so that we may be perfect and complete. The enemy, he's gonna get in our heads when this stuff happens. He's gonna try to convince us that that God's brought us there to destroy us, but we need to remember that he's the thief. He's the one that wants to steal. He's the one that came to kill. He's the one that wants things to end in destruction for our life. God is not there to destroy us. God is there to put us in some positions so that we can learn how to rely and, and fully depend on him and the power of his Holy Spirit at work in our lives. See, here's what I know. Once we've endured one thing, the next thing, we're gonna walk a little taller. We're gonna stand up a little straighter. 
Because we know, well, God, I saw what you did in this situation. You haven't failed me yet. So if you could do it over here, I believe that you could do it again right here. And so we just keep walking. We keep pushing forward. And the, the more we endure, the more we push through, the stronger it makes us that it, our, our endurance, our, our perseverance becomes fully developed and we become perfect and complete. Not because of anything that we've done, but it's because that through the course of that, we learn to rely on God. And here's the great thing. It's not just about us at that point, but our story becomes an inspiration for others around us. And, and then when we, when we hear somebody that's in a bad way, that's struggling, we can tell them, hey, I experienced something just like that. And God brought me through it. And if he brought me through it, he can bring you through it too. And all of a sudden, because we were willing to persevere, it doesn't just pay off for us, but it pays off for the people that are around us in our circle of influence. So the question we've got to answer is when it comes to embracing the challenge is am I willing to lean into God's presence in the midst of my pain? Because it's gonna hurt. Am I willing to lean into God's presence in the midst of my pain so that I can go the distance? Each and every time I can push myself a little bit further. Am I willing to grind it out Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until God develops in me what he started from the beginning. First, we have to accept the charge. Then we have to embrace the challenge. Number three, we've got to make the choice. We've got to make the choice. James 1, verse 12, so skipping down in the chapter there, it says this. It says, God, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The key word in that verse is afterward. See, the reward doesn't come first. Because if the reward came first, we wouldn't go through any of the mess that it takes in order to understand the value of that reward. So God says, I'm going to reward you, but first, you've got to make the decision to be patient and to persevere and to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And afterward, that's when I'm going to reward you. And then I love this passage out of, out of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. There's a, you probably read that for your devotional this morning, Habakkuk. I'm sure that's an oft, oft turned to book, Habakkuk, like you got something hung in the back of your throat. In 3, 17 through 18, it says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. All this stuff may be going wrong. All this stuff may not be turning out the way that I hoped it would. All this stuff might not be working out the way that I thought that it was going to. But despite all of that, yet I will rejoice in 
the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. What that passage right there tells me is that joy doesn't happen by chance. It only happens by choice. You and I get to decide. If you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord in your life, it's because you haven't chosen to let it be a part of your life. You've shut it out. You say, but Pastor Blake, you don't understand. I've planted these seeds, but I haven't yet harvested. I've tried and tried only to fall short and to come up empty. I've had only to have it ripped away from my hands. The writer of Habakkuk is saying, despite all of that, we can choose to rejoice. We can choose to be joyful in the God of my salvation. See, the devil's gonna try to convince us that we've got nothing. But I'm here to tell him and everybody else that Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's all we need. He is the God of our salvation. And when we place our hope and our trust, we put our faith firmly in Christ and Christ alone. Then we have everything. The math doesn't add up to the world. But to those of us who have stepped in, to those of us who have leaned in, to those of us who have chosen to believe, we know that Jesus plus nothing equals everything because he is all that we need. So the question here is, am I willing to choose joy by focusing on my savior instead of my situation? Am I willing to choose joy by focusing on my savior instead of my situation? We've got to accept the charge. We've got to embrace the challenge. We've got to make the choice if we're going to make the best of the opportunities in our life to choose joy. Then there's a bonus one. Maybe you saw a fork in your seat when you came in today. Maybe you sat on that fork. <laughs> and you got very angry with the person who placed it there. It was me. I'll meet you out of the oak trees after church. Um, I want you to get out of that fork and hold it in your hand. Here's the bonus. For making the most of our opportunity to choose joy in our life. We gotta keep our fork. We gotta keep our fork. There was a story that I read recently uh, about this young woman, she'd been diagnosed with a terminal illness, hospitalized, her time was drawing near. She had called the pastor to come and visit with her to make the final preparations for her life, to get everything in order. So they sat and they talked about the songs that she would like to have played at her funeral, the, the scriptures that she would like to have read and they got everything, all of the details in place. Pastor was getting ready to get up and leave and move on to his next appointment for the day. But the woman looked at him and she said, Pastor, before you go, there's one more thing. And it's a weird request. I'd like to be buried with a fork in my hand. Pastor kind of puzzled. 
said, well, what's the, you know, what's the story behind that? And the woman told him, and he smiled. He granted, he, he agreed to grant her request. With tears in his eyes, he hugged her, knowing that this is probably one of the last times, barring a, a supernatural miracle that he was going to see her on this side of glory. He got up and left the hospital room that day. Sure enough, within a couple weeks, she had gone on to meet her maker. As the people gathered for the funeral service that day, there she was up front in the casket, hands folded with a fork stuck in them. And as the people would walk by through the visitation line to pay their respects, no doubt they asked the same question that day that a lot of you asked. What's with the fork? As the pastor delivered the funeral message that day, he told the story that this woman had told him. It was something that she had learned from her grandmother at church potlucks and social dinners. That after the main course was over and they would begin to clear the plates, her grandmother would always lean over to her and say, now baby, you be sure and keep your fork. That always filled this woman with a great sense of delight because she knew that that meant that the seven layer chocolate cake and the deep dish apple pie and the peach cobbler a la mode and all of the accoutrement that go with it were right around the corner. See, she had grasped what it truly meant to put her faith and her hope in Jesus Christ. She knew that because of Jesus, the best was yet to come. And even in her death, when her sickness, the disease had taken her far too young, far too early, she wanted to be a testimony to everyone that would come there that day to keep your fork. This is patience. This is perseverance. This is what it means to live a life full of joy. That the things of this world, they are just temporary. The stuff that we gotta walk through, it's, 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 it's here today, but it's gone tomorrow. But for those of us who have placed our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, we gotta hold on to that fork because we know there's something so much greater that is on the way. And even if the trials and tribulations of this world take our life from us, they cannot take what Jesus has in store. Eternal life with him in heaven forever and ever and ever. So whatever it is that you're facing today, your situation, your circumstance, your struggle, that adversity in your life, let this fork be a reminder to you. Because of Jesus, we can have joy. Because of Jesus, his best is still yet to come. And we will not realize it this side of heaven. will only be after this life is over. We go to meet him in glory. If you're here today,
and that's not your story, the good news is it can be. Today, you can take hold of your fork by stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven of your sins and have those things washed away. There can be hope in Jesus that that you can know that that, that this life and everything that it has to offer, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that, that one day it's going to pass away. But for those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, the best is still yet to come. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, If that's you here this morning and you'd say, Pastor Blake, I want to make that a certainty for my future. I want to assure today that that the best for me is going to be yet to come. Today, I wanna step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just make that known to the Father by just just really quickly just putting your hand up and stick it up and put it right back down. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Just put your hand up and put it right back down. You're just acknowledging to your heavenly father your intentions, what you're about to do. If that's you this morning, whether you raised your hand or not, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer along with me. If you need it, it's gonna be on the screen. Otherwise, you can just repeat after me. Let's pray together. Heavenly father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. The band's getting ready to come and lead us in worship once again as we close out this service. As we do, I'm gonna invite all of you to stand in just a moment. And and as we stand together, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Blake, I... I need a touch of the Holy Spirit in my life. I I need to experience God's joy in my situation, in my circumstance today. If that's you, I just want you to just come forward and just line up here across the front. What I'd like to do is I'd like to take some anointing oil and I'd like to anoint you today as a vessel to be able to receive God's spirit so that you can walk out of this place experiencing the fullness of joy. And that as you walk through those trials and those tribulations in the days and the weeks to come, that you're gonna do so with a, a, new, a new outlook, with an infusion of patience in your life, with an infusion of, of perseverance in your life, and that, that, that God's gonna fill you with his joy as you choose to lean into him. So can we just stand together, prepare our hearts for worship? If you're here today and, and you'd like a special touch from the Holy Spirit, an infusion of his joy in your life, I wanna invite you to just come and stand and just line up here across the front. Let's worship together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.